Welcome to Movies, Music, Etc. I'm your host, Kyle, and with me is the man who knows who shot Kennedy, my co-host, Grant. And today, we're going to go over The Rock, which came out in 1996 and directed by Michael Bay. And uh, I must say, we've been waiting to do this one for a very long time, haven't we, Grant? Yes. <laughs> yes, we have. So... This is the actual movie that I kept talking about a year and a half ago when before we started to even talk about this podcast. It was this movie that I was so upset about that Grant has never seen, and we've finally seen it today. But today, like I said, we're going over The Rock, and its budget for this movie, so back in 1996, the budget was $75 million, which was quite a bit yeah. for a movie back then, and it ended up making... 335.1 million so financial success but we have a we pulled up this on because i had to rent it because for some reason i don't know why i don't have it we had to rent it and we rented off a red box online and it would sh show all the cast oh, yep. and the main characters in this movie for the cast is sean connery and nicholas cage they weren't even on there so <laughs> <laughs> I'm upset, dearly upset about it, because for one, Nicolas Cage is a national treasure, and if you don't like it, you can just face off. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some other cast members in this movie was Ed Harris, who plays uh, Brigadier General Francis X. Hummel, United States Marine Corps. Uh, William Fur uh, Furloth who was the special agent Paxson, mm -hmm. uh, Ed Morris, which was Major Tom Baxter, John Spencer, FBI Director James Womack, Michael Ben, which he was Commander Charles Anderson, and then uh, Tony Todd, who was Captain uh, Darrow, which do you know who that is? No. He was the one who was like, we're not soldiers anymore, we're mercenaries. mercenaries. And mercenaries. No. That's yeah. Candyman. From... The Candyman movie. So, I don't know why I fucking say okay. these things to you. <laughs> the other guy that was with him with the big gap in his teeth, he's Fathead and Ray. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, there was also uh, John C. McKinley, which you pointed out pretty early in the in the movie. But uh, there was actually a lot of star studded cast members in this, so I was pretty excited about that. And so now we're going to go over the summary of the movie. I highly recommend you go watch it because it is in my top five favorite movies. Unlike Grant here, who was disappointed in his reaction. I was. But uh, FBI chemical warfare expert Stanley Goodspeed, played by Nicolas Cage, is sent on an urgent mission with, this, with a former British spy, John Patrick Mason, who was played by Sean Connery, to stop General uh, Hummel, played by Ed Harris, from launching chemical warheads on Alcatraz Island into San Francisco. General Hummel, General, General Hummel demands $100 million in war reparations to be paid to the families of slain servicemen who died on covert operations. After their SEAL team is wiped out, Stanley and John deal with the soldiers all on their own. And so now we're going to go over the soundtrack, which back in the 90s, soundtracks were a little different. They didn't have music. But uh, they had more like scores and composures. And Grant even pointed out, he's like, man, this music really stands out. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the soundtrack was done by Hans Zimmer. And if you don't know who uh, Hans Zimmer is, he is a German film score composer and film producer 
who has composed uh, music for over 100 films, including blockbusters such as the Pirates of the Caribbean series, okay. Gladiator, The mm-hmm. Lion King, The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and Sherlock Holmes, just to name a couple. Huh. So he's pretty, pretty big, well-known. Knows what he's doing. Yeah, and like I said, like... And this is what this is like. I liked when when songs are in movies too, because you know it broadens your horizon a little bit. Right. But I do like this kind of style where they have like orchestras and composers, and, and like it really hits you right in the feels, especially yeah. in certain scenes. Mm-hmm. So I was like, there's a lot of times I'm like, oh, this hit me right here. <laughs> and so now onto the fun facts, the part that we're here for, and starting out with our fun facts is. How uh, how powerful some actors have in some movies, you know, the kind of pull they have. So uh, oh, okay. when uh, Sir Sean Connery insisted the producers build a cabin for him on Alcatraz Island so he didn't have to tra- travel to the mainland of the island every day. He just wanted to stay there. He didn't want to, like, do all the traveling. Right. And they built it for him. Oh, okay. <laughs> they were like, screw it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh as you can tell, most of the film was shot on location in Al- on Alcatraz Prison in on Alcatraz Island. It was governed by the National Park Services, and it was not possible to close down Alcatraz as much as the as much as for the filming had to accommodate for tour parties milling around. The scene in which the FBI director Womack was thrown off a balcony, like when he was at the Fremont Hotel. Oh yeah, yeah. He was not. Uh, was filmed on location at the Fremont Hotel in San Francisco. But the filming led to numerous calls to the hotel by people who saw a man dangling from the balcony. <laughs> uh, the film's closing scene was shot outside of the historic uh, uh, Heart Mission Church in Silicon California. But when they did have to use a soundstage, they used one of the biggest sound stages in music history or in, uh, movie history. And it is the same soundstage that they used for the Wizard of Oz. Oh. Yeah. So, according to Bay, the script was written much more straight and forward and serious than the final cut. Most of the humorous moments and lines were improvised during the film, which uh, that's what how awesome Nicolas Cage is. He does a lot of that stuff. But something that would that blew your mind, because it's gonna blow because it blew my mind was Quentin Tarantino was an uncredited screenwriter on this movie. Huh. Yeah, never knew that. Wow. Along with Jonathan uh, Hinesley and who he wrote like the shooting script. Yeah. And then Aaron uh, Serkin, who wrote like kind of like the action sequences, but like a, the kind of kind of the dialogue, like the swippy, the snippy kind of thing that was by Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Uh, since uh, we were talking in the beginning about like how Michael Bay, you can tell it's a Michael yeah. Bay movie, like there's certain angles he's always got to get and there's helicopters everywhere. Well, uh, he likes to bring in the same people that he's used, he's worked with before and stuff like that. So the guy who plays the president in The Rock was Stanley Anderson. He is the same guy who plays the president in Armageddon, which is also a Michael Bay movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, it's the size of Texas was president. <laughs> Oh, I'm surprised you've seen that movie. <laughs> but uh, a little side note: one of the cinematographers for uh, for the movie is Michael Bay's cousin. Huh. Yeah, so keep your family close. <laughs> so uh, 
We are we bring this every time. We bring this up every time we talk about Nicolas Cage and how and I feel how great he is. And you said there could be someone better. Well, after all these episodes we've gone through, we always where well, there's always been where like someone else almost played the part. Right. Well, so Nicolas Cage seemed an unlikely choice to appear alongside Sean Connery in the movie The Rock. Coming onto the fields, uh, coming straight to film, straight after filming his movie uh, Leaving Las Vegas, which earned him a Best Actor award. The famous uh, eccentric actor is quoted to have saying that he specifically looked at the role to prove wrong everyone who said he was too porky for mainstream blockbusters. Okay. So, in your face. Well, I could have done a better job. Just saying. <laughs> I, like, no one's going to do a better job Nicholas Nicolas Cage. Nobody. But okay. Much of Nicolas Cage's dialogue was ad-libbed, <laughs> so, which included the, the Zeus's butthole line, which, made, <laughs> which Michael Bay wanted to cut out, but Cage did insist that having, uh, having it so Cage's idea of the character that he would not swear in his infamous, like, uh, like euthanism's like, oh, gee whiz. Right. Uh, so, you know, when he uh, throws the guy, he only swears one time in the whole movie. When he shoots the guy? No, when he, like, he shoves, when he, like, falls out of the thing, and he falls onto the knees, like, how about that shit? Because oh. that's what the guy said to him. He was supposed oh, to, yeah, he, yeah. Like, he was supposed to say, eat that. Eat that, you fuck. But it was originally, but uh, didn't ever tell that he was going to be, it was going to be, he was going to be a dad. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's why he was like, he's supposed to eat that, you fuck. Like, he was just, because he was about to die and he, he was trying to stop it. From right. Anything, but, so it's like, yeah. it was supposed to be like a thing. But he later on then uh, ended up just revising to like, do you like that shit? Or like, that's how that shit works. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, which was, I think, is more quippy and stuff like that. But, uh, so you mentioned. When the thing comes up, uh, Jerry Brockheimer, Don Simpson, yep. before they broke up. Well, they were forced to break up, but producer Don Simpson was largely responsible for creating the crucial uh, General Hummel's character. Simpson watched a 60-minute interview back in 1993 in a segment about the U.S. government refusal to acknowledge soldiers who had died during covert overseas uh, missions. Hmm. And later, uh, read... Uh, Colonel David uh, Hatchworth's memoirs, which harshly criticized the U.S. planning during the Vietnam War. He combined these elements into Hummel's character as of and with uh, Jonathan Hinesley's described, uh, created a really compelling villain and a soldier with, uh, with a noble end, but unfortunately psychotic means. Yeah. And like I said in the beginning of the movie, like he, uh, like he, you make you sympathize with the the, the villain, yeah, but uh, and as you've seen at the end in, in The Rock, it was dedicated in the memory of Don Simpson, who died in January of '96 while the cameras were still rolling on the film. Mm. Simpson passed away from a from heart failure and the result of numerous excessive lifestyle. He was a pretty yeah. big drug addict. On hearing of his death, Sean Connery reportedly remarked, "I have to say, I'm not surprised." So I was like, ooh. <laughs> and so uh, as we remember when you're sitting there and we've seen that Disney. Yeah. So this is where this come from. And I didn't know this until I was looking up this fact. 
there were tensions during the shoot between director Michael Bay and the Walt Disney Studios, the executive, who were supervising the production. On the commentary track of the of the DVD, Bay recalls a time where he was he was preparing to leave the set for a meeting with the executive and was approached by Connery in golf attire. Uh, Connery also, who was a producer credits on the film, asked Bay where he was going. And when Bay explained that he had to meet with the executive, Connery asked if he could accompany him. Bay complied. And when Bay, when Bay arrived in the conference room, the executive's jaws dropped when they saw Connery appeared behind him. According to Bay, Connery stood, uh, stood up for him and insisted that he was doing a good job and to just leave him alone. Oh, so they're going to fire him, essentially. Yeah, then. so I, I do have a fact about that, that too, but uh, Hollywood Pictures is the production company that made this movie. Okay. And that was founded and owned by the Walt Disney Company. Oh, okay. So it's, so it's so, not directly Walt Disney. Yeah. It's... And so, guys, Disney is weird about that kind of stuff. They, uh, they know they can't just make kids' movies kind of thing. Right. They need to make action back because they're, uh, they're targeting a very small part of the market. Right. So that's why they would come up with these other production companies where it wouldn't have the Disney name on it. Yeah. So uh, that was all good. But in the scene, and then uh, <laughs> this is actually, you remember when I kept saying, like, oh, he's making all these references to, to James, James Bond. Bond? Yeah. Well, in the scene in the, the interrogation room where FBI. Agent Stanley Goodsby introduces himself to John Mason. John replies, but of course you are. Right. This is the same line that he used uh, when he met uh, Plenty O'Toole in the casino scene in the James Bond movie Diamonds is Forever. Hmm. But we also notice another one. He's like, he's like uh, what do you say about flippers? and Oh, oh snorkel. Back in my so day. Was... Oh, because they had all the scuba gear yeah. on. He's like, well, back in my day, we just had flippers and, and uh, a snorkel. You know? <laughs> I was like, yeah, another fucking reference because he has that scene where he's walking out of the yep. water. But, uh, but as I was mentioning earlier, how other people are always considered for roles. It's like Nicolas Cage is never the first. Oh, I, I can understand why. So, but this one except will for like, except for Cameron Poe, that's the only one. <laughs> but this one's gonna blow your mind. Arnold Schwarzenegger was offered what? the role for Cage's character, but at the time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Can you see him as the lab rat nerd? <laughs> no. So, <laughs> but at the time, the script only had eight pages with a lot of handwriting and scribbles, and it didn't seem to like seem fully baked. So uh, he didn't take it. He said he regrets not doing the role, though. Well, after he saw Nicolas Cage's performance, he probably could have done it better. Yeah, not a chance. Can you imagine that big fucking ape of a man crawling around in tunnels? He wouldn't have been able to, no. And there's just not, there's no way. Like, he's supposed to be a guy who doesn't have any, like, fighting experience. Like, the dude is a presence to be. Yeah, with, he's, so I'm yeah like, it wouldn't have ever worked with him. <sighs> Funny thing is that uh, some Steve of the... Steve Buscemi would have been a good one. Yeah, he would have. Uh, they didn't meet until 97, though. Oh, okay. So, for time here. That's right. <laughs> but uh, some of the Navy SEALs in the movie were actually played by real Navy SEALs. Huh. But you know the guy I pointed out 
that I said was like, man, I know that guy's been in a bunch of movies, but I can't remember. Yeah. Well, uh, that's Michael uh, Bean or Ben, uh, who played the Navy SEAL commander. He's the one that's like, yeah, it was hollering back at, at Harris. Yeah. yeah. He said he had uh, some of the variations, and therefore, on multiple occasions, he was unsure about himself while acting for the first time were against real Navy SEALs. He was he told Bay he was freezing up, uh, pretending to be the leader in front of real Navy SEALs, right. as well as being in Sean Connery's presence. <laughs> huh. So, there's that. But, uh, but that same guy, this mar- uh, this movie marks the third time that uh, Ben has been that's played a Navy SEAL, which the first one was in The Abyss. The second one was in the movie Navy SEAL. And then played the Colonel Marine and Aliens. So... Never seen any of them. You're the worst. (laughs) But that's what this podcast is for. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) So, for another fun fact, I remember during the scene of the car chase through San Francisco, I seen you shaking your head. Oh. And I was so upset because that that sequence was (laughs) awesome. (laughs) It's the most realistic police chase I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, you and Michael (laughs) Bay would agree. Oh, are you kidding me? So... Michael Bay said the car chase in San Francisco turned out to be the biggest clusterfuck he has ever had done in his entire filming career. He said just getting clearance for even two blocks of stretch required thousands of signatures. And uh, when they fell behind on scheduled sh- the shooting schedule, it resulted in a trio of uh, the studio reps arriving on and giving him like the stern talking to and shit like that. But since since they had to close down these streets, the studio had to pay for everyone who lived on those streets parking to park somewhere else yeah. and pay for their dry cleaning. Oh. So. No, I did not think it was, <laughs> it was horrendous. <laughs> it was great. He's like, it, I watched the clip of it. He's like, it was the biggest clusterfuck of my career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But since it, uh, it does take place in San Francisco and stuff like that, the studio originally wanted to shoot the movie in Los Angeles, only with a handful of exterior uh, shots of Alcatraz in San Francisco to complete the illusion. Right. But uh, Michael Bay refused telling them, like, I'm going to shoot it on this island because this island is so fucking bitching. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, you can tell he was definitely the director of pushback and everything, but by this time he was pretty big. Right. He did have a lot of pull with studios, and if, yeah, uh, you know, Disney or Hollywood uh, Pictures wasn't gonna hire him, mm-hmm. someone else is definitely going to. Right. But uh, so most of the scenes that involved the F-18s, it was stock footage of the U.S. Navy's Blue Angels. Okay. But another little fun fact is. In this movie, when you see the F-18s pulling out of the hangars and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you see a U.S. Air Force on the side of them. This is an incorrect thing. So, considering only Marines and Navies had, they have, and they're the only ones who operate F-18s. Yeah. The military advisor on the movie told this to Bay, but Bay said, "I don't care. I like the way they look." <laughs> so, like I say, he just has all the pay, all the pull he wants whenever he goes places. It's it, it like uh, like I remember you see them going under the bridge and yeah, they're in their star pattern yeah. and stuff like that. That's all like blue angel footage. I was just gonna ask you if they actually flew under the bridge after you said that. So you know what, like 
I never found any any like documents or any statements of them saying they did that because flying really low to water like that is like super unstable for a plane. Right. Like despite what you see in the movies and like and though they're not like they're not going in like fighter mode speeds and like that. They're right. like in a cruising speed and like and if any of them are off, all it would take is just like one little bump. And then go ballistic. <laughs> If you guys remember the Top Gun reference, but yeah, like, can you imagine one of those planes hitting the water, just tumbling and possibly hitting another one? But yeah. um, so, as we have discussed, that Michael Bay kind of does whatever he wants, says what he wants. Yeah. They walked off the movie for a couple hours once, and he was threatened with a sixty million dollar lawsuit when the studios tried scrapping the screen. Uh, scene where the seals approach the island from underwater Mm -hmm. uh he held his ground though and he's he's like we're not taking it out i if we can't keep it in i'm leaving and (laughs) it was kind of cool he called us we called his bluff yeah (laughs) so like (laughs) i I see what you did there yeah so he has (laughs) all the bullet nowadays no one be able to tell that to the disney company like you know piss on you right 60 million dollars fucking tomfoolery <laughs> so the one thing people talk about nicholas cage is his acting how he's kind of like just over the top you know but <laughs> so, a cage show of bay and brockheimer uh jaws highlights were of richard dreyfus's performance when he wanted to do the bomb dismantling scene yeah and you know how he's like he has his like hand close to his face and he's like and then like yeah just the way he did it i was like that that murder didn't remind me of something until i read this i didn't really realize what it was he says i admit that i steal from other places i think actors should be allowed to do that <laughs> <laughs> but i think he's a great actor honestly i i really didn't he really didn't bother me. It's just the fact that I thought he was going to be over the top and didn't have to be carried in this one. And when he was in the jail cells, when he started going a little over, yeah, he's like, "It was his butthole." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so one of the cool scenes in this was the minecart scene, where it shows him yeah. on the thing. Well, like it was intentionally meant to be uh, a big chasing where with the hanging carts with the one where you oh, yeah, yeah. hang on to at the very end. Yep. It was supposed to be from one of those, but uh, on the ceiling tracks and it exposed one of them instead, instead of the traditional rails, but the production ran out of money. And uh, so the remnants of what we've seen hanging from when he was hanging on, that's what, Hey, that's what, that's what that's they want to do. But so they had to go with the traditional rails. And they only had 150 feet of rail to work with. So they had to get clever with footage and, and they ran on the rail so many times. So I was like, you know, fast, especially how fast they're moving. Mm-hmm. 150 feet is gone yeah. really quick. You know, it's like from here to the end of the block. Well, I work in a rail yard, so. That is true. <laughs> I know a thing or two about. How long cars? is a rail cart? A rail cart? Car. Oh, the ones I look at are 60 feet. A tank car is 60 feet, roughly. Yeah, so not even three of those. Bummer. Yeah. But um, Cage was very concerned the way he uh, he thought he looked like a little Japanese schoolboy in the school gear while all the other actors looked really cool. (laughs) 
Bay admits it was intentional to make him look ridiculous. Oh. And uh, the he scene... He did pretty well. He seemed extremely nervous. Yes. Like, he definitely portrayed his character. So, you know, the, like in that scene when he's, like, messing with the regulator and it starts yeah. going off and he's freaking out, that legitimately happened. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't planned. And he goes... And uh, Nicholas Cage is talking. He goes, "It was the coolest thing ever." And he's like, Shankar just reached over and like turned it <laughs> all calm and stuff. all calm. And then he said his next line. Yeah, it just <laughs> and went they with kept it. it in the movie. That's like, pretty That's cool. So, cool. so uh, uh, Ed Harris uh, wasn't necessarily thrilled with all the excessive amounts of coverage Bay shot for a scene. Like we were talking about the, the Michael Bay film, the way oh, he, yeah. like, he pans the cameras. Well, Ed Harris knows it too. He goes, "They will shoot you. Uh, they will shoot your head. They will shoot you from underneath. They will shoot you from left to right. They will shoot you from above. They will shoot you on the move." And he just loved the camera. Like uh, Michael calls Ed testing him during rehearsal <laughs> by suggesting that the actors were the only ones uh, up on the screen. But Michael Bay told him that. His name was on was on the film too. <laughs> it was. It was like Ed Harris was like it was like two dogs sniffing each other out. Yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, Bay did. Uh, Bay explained that one of the major logic flaws in the movie is why are the boilers working on the rock and the island's been abandoned for years? That's yeah. His answer. He he answers his own question by saying, "Screw it. It's entertaining." <laughs> I don't care. Which I get. Well, if they're doing tours and stuff, you want to. I guess I could see that if it was, you know, cold and rainy and wet and crappy on an island, like it's always portrayed. Yeah, but like. Yeah, like I said, they were doing the tours and it's. There's probably some money coming in from the tours plus the city doing their. The park service stuff like that. Yeah. But to keep the boilers all going, you'd have to make make sure the pipes were all. Yeah, like up to date, or else you'd have up to code. Yeah, I can see like boilers. I can see them keeping off. They probably bring generators on for lights and stuff like that. Right, just in darker areas of the the place, but yeah, or specific areas that the tour actually went through. Yeah, and like in in the movie, it's thirty years since he escaped from there. He's like, I hope they didn't change the timing on these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like chances are, right? <laughs> but uh, uh so. When uh, there was a scene that was actually cut out when they were on the rail carts and stuff like that, Mason would stamp Hendrix's hand and pin him to the cart. Instead, he was just tangled up yeah. when he was on fire. Oh, from the yeah. cart. It's like he there was a scene where he stabs him through the hand and pins him on the cart, and that's what holds him there. So when the cart falls, he goes in the water with it. Oh, but they thought that was too gruesome and out of character for. Sean Connery's character. See, what if Quentin Tarantino was directing that it would be in there? I imagine Quentin Tarantino <laughs> wrote that scene for sure. <laughs> but, uh, fun fact, when you asked me, uh, oh, man, you told you asked me about a movie, if, if Michael Bay did that movie, but it was Ridley Scott. Oh, Black Hawk Down. Yeah, Black Hawk Down. That was a joke because it's helicopters. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, that was one of the things it was, so that was actually another fun fact is he wanted twice the helicopter scenes in that movie, <laughs> but they were like, no, it's unnecessary. It's already two hour movie. So yeah. They, they end up cutting two hours it. and 16 minutes. So they ended up cutting that out. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> but uh, Tony Scott was uh, 
Ridley Scott's brother was originally supposed to direct, but he turned it down so he can go direct the fan. Which mm. I've never seen that movie, so I have. Oh. Just kidding. <laughs> but uh, the premiere for this movie was held in the prison recreation yard on Alcatraz. That's pretty cool. That is. Which, like, I've never been there. I've never seen it in person or nothing like that. So I'd like to see how big this island is. I imagine it's huge. Yeah. I mean, just looking at it doesn't do it justice because you don't know how far away the cameras are. There's no scale for a lot of the pictures that I've seen of the island itself. And I know it is like way out in the bay. Right. Like when Sean Connery comes back and he goes, he came back. He goes, last time I swam on this <laughs> channel, I was your age. <laughs> and uh, I know this is not a horror a horror film, but there was a lot of deaths in there. Oh, so you did a kill count? I didn't do a kill count, but I do like, I don't have like the numbers, but there was 25 characters who did die in this in this movie. I don't know how many kills per minute that oh. is, and they calculated it out, but now I'm upset that I didn't. <laughs> well, there's a cluster right there right away. Yeah, that, get into the, oh. that's about 16 of them right there yep. in the shower room, which <laughs> <laughs> the po- possible penetration point in the shower room. <laughs> I didn't catch that. You, you never that. caught it. Out oh, that. man, I cracked up right when he said it. Out of the hundred times I've seen that movie, I'm, I have never got it. I was like, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> wrote that for sure. <laughs> Possible penetration room in the shower, or point in the shower room. I know, I did, then you were like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he said that. But I do got one final fact for you. Okay. And I really wish this would have came true. <laughs> but Michael Bay's idea for a sequel. Mm. <laughs> Involves the now married Goodspeed in the possession of the microfilm that you see him get at the end of the movie. Yeah. And now he finds himself pursued by the government. And with uh, with nowhere else to turn, he is forced to ask Mason for help. I'm not going to lie. I would watch this. I would watch the shit out of that. I That sounds awesome. I, I really like this movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, it got long at times. I understand why it had to get long at times. But... I'd watch the sequel, to be honest with you. No, that looks... 1999, that sequel that came out, I'm going to be like, this is the second greatest movie of all time. Jesus. But like, I really love this movie. I loved it when I was a kid. I thought it was the coolest thing. I was like, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL because of this fucking movie. And then when I'm bored of doing that, I'm going to go work for MI6. British intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> Because lap moving is not that easy. <laughs> so, But I'm glad we finally seen this movie. You finally seen this movie. We watched it together. It was so great. <laughs> I, I I did enjoy parts of the movie a lot. Other parts, not so much. Would I watch it again? Yeah, if I was forced to. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to uh, do a recap in two years and you've got to rewatch it. <laughs> Sean Connery was my his character was my favorite though. I will say that. And yeah, you know, it's it, you know, it sucks. We're not gonna get any more films with him, but like he re- pretty much plays the the cool suave guy. Yeah. The, and like when he when he's walking out when they're gonna execute the hostage, yep. he's walking out all collected. He's like 
I don't give a shit about you guys. Either. Right. He gave off that kind of badass persona. Yeah, he's like, put your name, Sam. And he goes, Army, actually. It's like, <laughs> you will address him as General, sir. He's like, Captain Patrick John Mason, British Intelligence or yeah. British Special Force or something like that. And he goes, you're a long way away from home. <laughs> but I love that dialogue between them because that's the only time that those two, like, they're two huge actors. Right. And that's the only time that they converse. Mm-hmm. And, and like their dialogue between each other was awesome. Like when he's like, "I don't, I don't see how uh, you memorializing the dead by killing millions." Yep. And then Ed Harris was like, "Sometimes the tree of liberty needs to be replenished by the blood of patriots and tyrants." And then he's like, "Well, the yeah." And then he says that yeah, because he's like, "By blood of." Patriots and Tyrants, he's like Thomas Edison or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, uh, patriotism would, could be a sign of lo- uh, lunacy. lunacy. Oscar Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hits him. <laughs> I enjoyed this movie. I'll probably watch it again. And I'll watch it again. And I'll watch it again, because it's great. It was it was decent. I've seen a lot worse. I, won't, I don't need to go out of my way to watch it. It's not like I'm going to go on and have a date night with somebody and be like, hey, we have to watch this movie. I don't know. I don't even know who you are anymore. I'm sorry. Hey, I can't. You want you want a girl to just love you unconditionally forever? You Make watch her watch The Rock? rock? Make her watch The Rock. No. She'll look at you. She's like, this man has great taste. Probably has great values in life. I like I like him. I like him. Put a ring on it. And her friends will tell her the same thing. She'll probably be like, wait, hold on. You're going to watch a Nicolas Cage movie? Yeah, I know. Uh, as long as it's not, if it's not Con Air, National Treasure 1 or 2, I'm out. Dude, if I had a Tinder profile, the only thing I'd put in the oh, bio geez. is. <laughs> Nicholas <laughs> Cage's biggest fan. Nicholas Cage's biggest fan. <laughs> we'll watch all of his movies. Do you know how many hits I would get? One from Nicholas Cage. Touche. But, uh. That's the episode. Make sure you join us for after the episode where uh, I can belittle Grant more for not liking the greatest actor ever. But, uh, <laughs> and I'll wear it because I got nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us and come back next time.